Greg, you Greg. have vinyl behind you. I do. Sorted alphabetically. I do. Which uh, inspired... Not my choice, but go ahead. Not your choice? Well, okay. I wouldn't care, but my wife's a librarian, so... Oh, well, you inspired me to... Be, to... There has to be some order. Yes. Um, you inspired me, or Kel inspired me, to arrange my vinyl alphabetically as well, not including the Neil Young vinyl, which is all on its own. Um, so why don't we do this? I'm going to pick a letter. You're going to go behind you. Yeah. Pick out an album based on that letter. And uh, you're going to talk about it. And if there's enough time, you can do the same with me. All right. How does that sound? Sure. All right. So let's go. Let's go with G. G. G for... G for gorgeous Greg. Oh, there's also G. Well, let's see. Let's see what what Greg pulls out. For those of you listening and not watching this on YouTube, Greg is wearing a big sugar T-shirt. And on the back, uh, there is a, a Canadian flag. It might be in gold. And he's going through his vinyl. There is actually... And... Uh, doesn't seem to be any G. Oh, I've got, I've got, yes, there is G. G. Can I guess what it is? Okay, go ahead. I haven't seen the vinyl, but just based on, based on what you like, what you've liked in your age, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Genesis. You know how close you are? Oh, damn it. All right, tell me what you got. Ah, Peter Gabriel. It is the extended dance remix. Okay. Of Sledgehammer. All right. So, so tell me, why do you have that? Well, and do you have uh, so? Uh, I don't have so here. Um, most of my vinyl. Yeah. Is all extended like 12 inches because i used to dj so rather than have necessarily the album yeah i would buy the dance remixes so that peter gabriel sledgehammer is the 12 inch remix i think there's how many versions on this there are two different versions plus don't break the rhythm and i have the touch so um Peter Gabriel, unfortunately, somebody that I did not get to see live. I have not seen live. Ah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that album, So, was a, a transformational album, in my opinion. The, the production was unbelievable. Yes. The songwriting was unbelievable. The musicianship was unbelievable. Oh, just great music. Great album. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Okay, you. Let's go. See, I could go K because that would keep in theme. But I'm going to go F. F. Hold on a second. Here we go. F. I should have gone S because I started off with you suck. But, you know, that's I thought fine. you were going to do F. U. All right. There's, there's a bunch of Fs here. That's an F. That's a G. Okay. This this reminds me of who was the guest on the podcast? Julian Taylor. Julian Taylor. Guys, he went through you his guys geeked vinyl. out over album or over vinyl. So Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, Mac. Tango in the Night. Yes. Now, now there's a story behind this particular album. Okay. So, uh, you know, Minaz was getting frustrated with me taking her to rock concerts. And she says, that's it. You have to buy a ticket that I want to go to. And for me, like when I would listen to um, Q107 back in the day, um, I wouldn't necessarily know the song. I wouldn't necessarily know. Can you hear me? Yeah, I was on mute. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. I made fun um, of you saying back in the day, but I was on mute at the time. So. 
Anyway, and yeah. I wouldn't necessarily know the artist, but I would know the like I would know the song. And so one day she says to me, I want to go see Fleetwood Mac. And at the time, I'm thinking in my head, Fleetwood Mac, huh? I, it just didn't, I didn't compute that. It didn't, and there's no songs that came into my head, no album, nothing, just a blank Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I didn't even go online to check. And this is not so long ago that I couldn't go online and check. Mm-hmm. But I said, ah, fine, I'll, I'll get Fleetwood Mac. We go and we see, and we see this lineup, by the way. We see the, the iconic lineup. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Christine McV- McV- McVie has, has passed. Uh, but we went to see this lineup, which I think is, you know, when people think of Fleetwood Mac, you know, they don't think of Peter Green, God rest his soul, but they think of this lineup. And they played this album. They played all the hits. And I'm dancing and I'm watching Lindsey Buckingham play the guitar like I've never seen anybody play the guitar. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I'm looking at Minaj and she's sitting down. I go, what are you doing? You wanted to come to this concert. She goes, I don't know any of these songs. I'm like, what? 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 She was thinking of this album tango in the night and if you listen to both of these albums this is a quintessential classic rock album rumors by the way Mm -hmm. tango in the night has has like a dance beat you probably played or you could have played as a dj some songs dance dance versions of tango in the night um they may have played one I'm song. 100% sure I didn't. Go ahead. They may have played one song. And so anyways, I found it quite amusing that Minaz went to a concert that she chose and, and didn't enjoy it because they decided not to play this album. And do you know why they decided not to play Tango in the Night? I They didn't say it, but Tango in the Night was supposed to be a solo album by Lindsey Buckingham. Huh? And uh, it ended up being a Fleetwood Mac album. So I don't know whether Fleetwood Mac necessarily, you know, the powers that be at Fleetwood Mac necessarily want to give props to to, uh, to Tango in the Night. So that's my Fleetwood Mac Tango in the Night story. I have, I have a, 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 a story that sort of dovetails off that, that my wife is going to hate me for telling. Uh-huh. Uh, although I think I've told you before. And I it was... Think, um, I think you've told it on this show. Have I told on this show? I think so, but go ahead. Oh. Yeah. And so tell it. she it's... was she was so excited um, to buy tickets yeah. for a huge band. Massive. Massive band yeah. playing at the Danforth Music Hall. Uh-huh. And uh, she was she was so excited, and she thought she was seeing Arcade Fire at the Danforth Music Hall. And this is no disrespect to Broken Social Scene, but she bought tickets to Broken Social Scene. She thought she was seeing Arcade Fire. It was still an amazing show, as obviously yeah. uh, phenomenal show. But yeah, she was. Um, similar i i recognize yeah your wife your wife actually knew that she was seeing the band she was going to see <laughs> just not the album um my wife thought she was going to see a completely different a completely band different all right at the danforth music hall and that's the pre-show and that is the pre-show let's chat with sean kelly hi the following podcast is brought to you by radical road brewery the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find him at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi there, my name is Sean Kelly. I'm the author of uh, the new book, Don't Call It Hair Metal, Art in the Excess of 80s Rock. I'm a guitar player. I'm a teacher. But uh, most of all, I'm a music fan. So welcome to the music.
welcome, 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 Sean. It's honestly, it's a pleasure having you here. Um, I have a ton of notes. I don't even know if we're going to get through everything within an hour. Um, and at the risk of sounding like I creeped you on socials, uh, we have a whole <laughs> bunch of mutual friends that uh, ah. so that that will probably uh, come up in conversation. Um, but about the book, don't yeah. call it hair metal. Uh, so at the beginning, you talk about sort of the quintessential bands or the really like the big bands and the important albums that were part of it. Mm-hmm. And and I was, or I guess part of the beginning, but I, I kept thinking of one album and I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And chapter five started off with Hot Young, Running Free, a little bit better than it used to be. And I'm like, okay, there's the album. There's the album. So uh, I just, you know, to me, this album is, and I've argued this, not argued this before, but I've mentioned this before, arguably one of the best punk albums ever written, ever recorded. Um, Too Fast for Love. Can can I start by asking you your view and your thoughts on Too Fast for Love, which is one of my favorite albums of all time? Yeah, uh, it's also one of my favorite albums of all time. And um it, it wasn't the first, even though it was Motley Crue's first album, it wasn't the first one I came to. Uh, I was just, I discovered Motley Crue through Shout at the Devil, like uh, so many people my age. But it was, you know, after kind of devouring Shout at the Devil and every piece of reading information, uh, reading material I could get uh, about that record, I discovered that they had indeed made a previous album and somebody at my school had a copy of the cassette. And I remember throwing it on. And I actually almost felt sick the first time I heard it because it was not the polished album I had heard previously. It was out of tune. It was scary. It sounded like disco. It sounded old and weird and violent. And the guitar tones were very in your face. And I just didn't know what I was listening to. And then I kept going back to it because it was like looking at something that horrifies you, but you keep going back and looking at it. It's like almost like, you know, going back to smell the sour milk over and over again. And eventually (laughs) you kind of dig it. And I've grown to love that record and realize it's very, very important. And actually how it ties in to 70s glam power pop, like bands like the Raspberries and, uh, and Sweet and uh and and cheap trick and all these bands i would discover later on that would become very important to me but at the time and like you said it's it's it also is an amalgam of punk music it's got new wave in it it has all these very los angeles sensibilities it's actually incredibly sophisticated on in on one hand and then it's also very raw and to go back and later on, I actually just found a copy of the Leather Records version, the actual independent pressing on vinyl. And to go back and listen to the original intended mix, which is far better than the mix that came out on the major label version, um, and hear what it was supposed to be. It, it's I think it's a near perfect rock and roll record. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, you, I, I love it. Do you remember how old you were when, when you heard that album and how it in, and how did it influence you yeah well i would have been i would have been in grade six when i heard it because that's when i i came to shout at the devil and well it it, it kind of gave me an idea of how bands develop which i guess in in a sense helped me write this book you know 40 years after the fact you know because i realized there had been some massive change in these human beings between shout at the devil and that first record and then I kind of, you know, part of me thought, oh, I guess just every record just keeps getting better. That was my first ah. thought. Oh, okay. I really like this, but this is it. A band has a lineage. A band has a trajectory. A band has a history. Okay. I'll like the next one better and better. And I almost, I really convinced myself of that. I remember getting Theater Pain, which is, in retrospect, an inferior record to both of those uh, previous records. But at the time, I just said, it's the new one. It's better. I've invested in this. I had to actually split the cost with my friend, Sean Walsh. We each had five bucks. We've pooled our money, got the record. We ride it back and forth to each other's houses on our bikes. I have the record now. (laughs) Sean Walsh does not have the record. I'm sorry, Sean. I I kept it. Um, But, uh, 
Yeah, that was what I remember about that was that things change, bands change, and I guess you just got to keep getting better. Of course, I go back and I look at the historical importance of Too Fast for Love and what I've come to value in rock music, and I realize that's my favorite record. All the elements that make that record what it is. So, yeah, it was a it was a big record for me. That's amazing. Um, I, I have to ask you this. Yeah. The title of your book. Yeah. Why can't we call it hair metal? Well, you can call it whatever the hell you want, really, at the end of the day. But <laughs> why don't you want to call it hair metal? <laughs> well, because to me, it's a pejorative term that yeah. was uh, applied to, in a blanket way, to a bunch of hard rock music of the 80s after yeah. the fact. You know what I mean? Okay. It was it was a marketing ploy. I think the first time I saw it, I was working at Tower Records in the 90s, and it was like a compilation, hair metal. You know, I was like, what the hell is that? But you know, it was a facile way to lump it all together, right? Yeah. Yes, people had big hair, all these bands. And to be fair, near the end of the 80s into the early 90s, as uh, record companies became more corporate and you had these conglomerates coming in and it became more about bean counting rather than developing unique individual artistic talent, you could make a case that, yes, things got refined to the point where every label had to have a W band, a White Lion, a Warrant, the Winger, you know? Oh. Uh, you know, like it got to the point where it was really so formulaic. Everything did start to sound the same. You had the same producers making the same record with the same session players, with the same art director, the same clothing director, designer. So, I mean, you could make an argument that things got so refined that it was easy. It was an easy target, right? You could just lump it in. Big hair. Okay. Hair metal. But but we don't call 50s music pompadour rock, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't call new wave asymmetrical haircut rock. So I thought it was unfair to label it that. But at the end of the day, I, I mean, I kind of, um, I kind of ditched that, that, that premise early on where I was going to prove how, how wrong you were if you don't like this and how right I am. It, Cause really it's just about showing, I just really wanted to show the artistic intention of, of some of these people, uh, the sonic evolution of the music and how much it meant to me and why it meant something. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it's funny when you talk about even when you're mentioning New Wave. Um, I love the the hair metal SWOT analysis, you know, talking about threat and parental disapproval. And for me, um, you know, I, I was a big fan of metal, you know, Iron Maiden and, and that sort of time, early, not early ACDC, but sort of the late 70s, early 80s ACDC. And I remember... I don't know how old I was, 15 or whatever. And my bud's brother came back from, I think he went to Guelph University. And he came back with all these albums. So we're listening to like early Duran Duran, early Temple, Temple Tudor, early Haircut 100. And, and you know, we started with the big hair. And again, sort of the new wave big hair, not necessarily the metal big hair. But I mean, it was all, we were all teasing our hair with final net and crimping irons and everything else, right? Yeah. Um, but it's funny because my parents my parents who were both teachers told me I was not allowed to leave the house with big hair. So I would literally leave the house and go up to my friend Paula's house and, and she would crimp and tease my hair and, and off to school I went. So I, I think it's, it's funny because it's like <laughs> cross genres. We were all sort of the big hair rebelling, like just that excess, if you will. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's funny. I remember high, I had a Motley Crue shirt. I hid in the backyard that I would put on because wow. I was just not allowed to have that. You know, I remember tricking my brother-in-law into getting me a twisted sister iron on shirt in the mall. You know, you could go to the mall, there'd be like a kiosk in the middle and him not knowing how averse my mother was to this and him getting in trouble and, you know, feeling betrayed <laughs> by his young brother-in-law, <laughs> soon to be brother-in-law. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I can well, relate it's, so it's it's funny because um, I, I do want to explore that with you because, you know, I know you're a Catholic school teacher. In fact, you teach right down the road from us. We're at uh, sort of the Donlins and O'Connor area, um, oh. which is where I live. Um, but can you talk about that sort of, you know, the, the Catholic upbringing versus some of the darker, more, and I know you touched it in the book, but sort of the, the darker satanic, you know, themes that come across in metal versus you know, your upbringing. Well, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I'm well-versed in the devil already. I mean, I'm, I'm already an expert on, you know, what I've got to do to avoid it. 
uh, I just, <laughs> to me, it was just, a, you were just flipping the script. It's like, well, hey, check this out. Maybe, maybe it's not so bad. Hell, hell ain't a bad place to be, as ACDC would say. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's like anything, right? It's taboo. It's fascinating. It's um, all I knew. See, I, I never actually related that much on a lyrical level. It was mm-hmm. always how the music made me feel and how the visuals uh, impacted me. So the lyrics, I would sometimes wish they weren't uh, as oh. scary as they were. I wish they weren't as overtly sexual or had the drug references because I, I still wanted to adhere to, you know, my Catholic upbringing as a, as a kid. I, I I grew up in a happy Catholic home. Like, I mean, it was, I didn't want to, my parents were, were wonderful to me. I had wonderful experiences in that system. Um, so I wasn't like I was trying to kick against it, but it was alluring. And then, I have to admit later on, it's like, well, why can't I listen to that? Well, maybe I should play that show at the devil cassette backward. It says that it may contain backward <laughs> messages. What are they trying to tell me? I think he said Satan. I don't know. Let's rewind it again. Like going over with my buddy's four track, you know, recorder and flipping the tape and playing it backwards. And we would sit there and try and write the lyrics down. You know, uh, it, it was, it was, fun to do that it felt like like you know almost like the feeling you get when you watch a horror movie so reconciling it yeah at times it was actually a challenge for me i remember my mom was a a tried and true record smasher you know like she Mm, she smashed record like records were broken in front of me wow um and you know sometimes i could see why like you know that whole satanic panic thing that was happening Take it from their perspective, they, you know, our parents are getting information from media sources and it's saying your kids are being possessed by the devil. This is a negative influence. Remember, this is a PMRC. This is Tipper Gore. This is like, yeah, no, these, these are mainstream Democrats coming at you telling you it's bad news. Right. So, yeah, you know, I can understand. And to be fair, I was challenged. I remember I bought a shout at the devil guitar songbook. It had the guitar chords the piano music right and you'd have the lyrics and i remember making the argument but the music's not bad you just hate the lyrics you don't hate the music so our compromise was to go through together and black out any lyrics that didn't sit with our family values wow so it was a bit of a drag i won't lie for me to get <laughs> but i kept the book like so i had this yeah. i had this great support for my musical endeavors but i think i would just you know under under the watchful eye of cautious parents who you know in hindsight probably were on to something here maybe this wasn't the best stuff to be exposed to when you're young you know especially especially some of the sexist stuff well you, you it's come, fu- it it's you, fun sorry if i could jump to, yeah, yeah, dovetail off that because it's it's funny that you say that because my kids are in their late 20s now and so <laughs> um they they grew up in our house listening to uh, bands like the salads and oh, you know, okay. the salads, right? The salads yeah. have some of their their great bomb ska stuff, right? But if great you guys. listen to some of the early stuff, like Triple X and some of the other songs, very sexual, very you know. And, and so what? What? And, and not just the salads. A lot of that sort of '90s, you know, music. Um, what the rule was in our house was you weren't allowed to say the words, right? We, we we would let you listen to them, but and again, I'm talking. My kids are like you know, however tall or however young, right? But you know, you can listen to the music, but as soon as you say the words, then you're not listening to this anymore. And it was hilarious because we'd be driving to Florida, the kids would have the salads and be like blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> it was our well, way of, when you talk about your parents censoring. It was our way of of it censoring our kids in the way. Sorry. Well, no, no, no problem. And and you know, the the flip side is you also start to realize that a lot of this music. Like someone like Nikki Six, he's writing these lyrics as a reaction against the negative side of organized religion. When you start hearing about all these atrocities that the Catholic Church is responsible for, all of a sudden that gives you perspective. It's like, oh yeah, not everybody had the experience I had. Yeah, there there are horrible things that happen. So like you know, it just gives you a, a broader worldview. And it's funny, I just saw something. It was King Diamond and Michael Sweet from Striper. They had just played together at a festival, and you see the two of them hanging out, and getting along, but they're getting criticized. By both of their fan bases. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And they're going, a hypocrite? We're musicians. We're just two guys who we like each other's music. We look at the world differently, but we're both decent people. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, as an adult, hopefully you come to that realization. You can have disagreements or different philosophies and still get along. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
Well, there's a, a full circle moment, Sean, when your parents meet D. Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> so, can, like, can you tell us that story? Sure. Um, well, I I was uh, lucky enough to be part of a musical called D. Snyder's Rock and Roll Christmas Tale. Uh, a musical in which I thought I was just going to be playing guitar, but I ended up having to learn how to act, oh. dance, and uh, and sing in this thing. And it was the greatest challenge of my life, but the most rewarding professional thing I ever did. It, I absolutely adored it. And, you know, D. Snyder is the reason I'm a musician, full stop. Uh, absolutely the reason I play guitar is because we're not going to take it. Um, and also, so this was a big point of consternation for my parents because, you know, you got these guys in full makeup looking like linebackers from hell, you know, who are, you know, telling you not to, you know, not to take it, not to, you know, anti-authoritarian kind of yeah. kind, kind of vibes, right? Which, when you look back now, it was all pretty yeah. playful, cartoonish, very <laughs> Looney Tunes, right? Which is where they were coming from, right? Very 50s rock and roll. Um, but anyway, I had done this play. And I, I'll never forget because that night, Nelly Furtado came to the show, too. I, I was playing with Nelly. And and she came to the show in D. Snyder. So it was a really nice moment. Yeah. Like everyone was kind of hanging out. But the moment where it was funny because what D really wanted it, I told D my parents were coming. And we had had talks about legitimacy and feeling legitimate in your parents' eyes for what yeah. you do. And he felt that being in theater gave him real legitimacy as an artist, I think. Oh, I don't I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think yeah. he can find him saying that. And and we talked about this. Like he'd say, Hey man, like I know you can play guitar, but now you're delivering lines. It's cool, right? And I'm going, Yeah, it is cool. But I remember him going to my mom and saying, aren't you proud? He's in the theater, you know? Wow. And I'm going, this is amazing. And then I'm remembering, but mom, I w you wouldn't let me even have this guy's t-shirt. <laughs> so I was having this weird conflict where it's like, wait, wait a second. But no, it was, it was absolutely beautiful because as much as I talk about, you know, my parents, you know, sure. doing things like taking t-shirts with her, they were so, my mom was so supportive and is so supportive. My biggest fan to this day, you know? So it was it was absolutely wonderful. And I'm glad it, you know, I think I think me being a musician was a massive learning curve for my parents, too, right? You know, dropping me off at bars when I'm underage to go play gigs and wow. picking me up and like, you know, seeing the people I was hanging out with at the time quite young because I'm playing with older people and you know, some of the bars, I don't know, there were two types of entertainment usually. You'd do a set and then there was another type of entertainment that would come on after you, right? So, I mean, these are all things I'm exposed to while I'm still going to Catholic high school, you know, the next day. So, <laughs> dichotomous lifestyle choices, right? But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was really an amazing moment. And, I, you know, I, I dedicate the book to Dee and my parents yeah. because, you know, like, really, the two biggest influences over the course of my life in a lot of ways. That is crazy. And, and mm. I mean, there's another full circle moment. Like you're you're at the board now. You're with the Catholic school board. Yes. You know, so you're, you you start off with your, your parents. You know, you guys are I don't know whether discussing, but you're sort of coming to an agreement on what you can and cannot do around music and play the music. You can't read the words, or you know, they don't want you to listen to the words. Um, you you then you know you've you've got this moment where the same band that your mom wouldn't let you watch or would smash the record or not let you wear the t-shirt. You introduce them to the lead singer. Um, and, and now you are out of school. And I'm, what I want to ask you, um, Sean is how do you now, you know, with the same eyes where you were, you weren't rebelling necessarily, but you had, you were, you were, uh, attracted to, uh, you know, to, to rock music, to, to heavy metal. Um, and now kids are listening to different types of music. I'm curious how you sort of navigate those waters when now, you know, kids are wearing other types of t-shirts. Kids are listening to different types of music. You know, how do you as a musician, as someone that sort of went through, um, yeah. you know, what you should and should not listen to, how do you navigate the waters these days? Well, what I try to convey to kids, you have to be, you know, you have to be careful. You have a responsibility to parents. You have to respect parents' wishes. You have to respect your, your school board's rules. And, and, and you have to respect, um, you know, the role you play in, in influencing the kids that you teach, right? So all those things come into play. But what I try to convey is it's important to be um, judicious when you're listening and, and, and to understand what art is and that art 
the expression of art can challenge you. It can challenge things that you believe to be true. It's the beauty of art. It gives you, lets you look at the world through a different perspective, but it doesn't mean you have to adhere to everything that you're listening to. You can experience uh, someone's thrills, someone's pain, uh, someone's joys um, through their music, but it doesn't mean that you have to be an active participant in the lifestyle choices, right? So I think as a teacher, I do have a responsibility uh, to promote, you know, the health and well-being of my students and to watch out over them for sure. But I have no problem if a kid wants to play me something that might be my color outside the line so that we can have the discussion about it. Yeah. You know, and in terms of genres of music, the kids are always right. The kids are always right. So me telling them there's the, it, it doesn't wash with me when people say, oh, all this new music's a bunch of crap. It's just a bunch of computer. The kids are always right because kids will find the thing that connects them to other kids. And really, you know, what Rick uh, Gilmore, her rock and roll lives and breathes in the hearts of the young, right? Triumph. I mean, that, that's, that's what it is. So, and, and the beauty of it is today, uh, kids have the world's music at their fingertips. So they're listening to everything. I mean, they might come in with an ACDC song. They might come in with a Lady Gaga song one day, you know, Taylor Swift, Dojo Cat, whatever. They're listening to so much and music is always in their periphery. It's not necessarily uh, weighted with the same value that we listen to music because they have so many more forms of entertainment and so many more things. So much more information is coming at them. You know, I had a simple life. I could get theater of pain and I'd spent my money. I had no more access to anything. I just have to play that record and read about who did their hair and know everything about that band. So that was our biggest form of social communion, music. I, I try to tell people, this used to be a thing we do. I would bring a record to my friend's place and we'd sit down and we would listen to the record. That was the activity. But what were you doing, playing video games? No. We were listening to the record and not talking and just nodding. Yeah. And that blows people's minds, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's interesting. I was, uh, was going to go somewhere else, but I was thinking about um, was it Billy Rowe from Buck Cherry's comment about, you know, listening to bands like Lords of the New Church in Japan, right? Which is yeah. stuff I was into then. And and I think about I think about when I was playing again, you know, Durham and this is where I think we're a number of mutual friends. Um, you know, playing playing with Mike Turner and and others, sort of the the new wave, sort of you know, heading into the power station kind of thing. But yet we go during our you know, we go to the soundtrack for Maelstrom or Harem Scarum and 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 or Durango ninety four. Well, I guess Purple Toads at that point. But it's like you know, there was there was this whole community of musicians, and we all hung out and listened to each other. But our our fans, not fans, but you know, the people that came to our shows weren't necessarily listening to, you know, Maelstrom and and weren't listening to the Purple Toads. Yet we were all part of a community of musicians. And so to your point today, the kids, like, I, I love the fact that there's that, you know, mash of, of all different genres that kids are listening to. I look at my kids and then my, my nieces and nephews that are younger and like, they just, there's no, there's no divisive line like there was back then. No, it's funny. I have a little rock band at one of the schools I teach at, you know, we have an extracurricular that that's a, a band you can join, right? The rock band. And it's amazing to me how little influence I've had. Like, I mean, they come to me with, it might be, hey, I found this song. It's by a Russian alternative band. They're all instrumental. They do surf punk. Where'd you find it? I don't know. It was recommended on some app. <laughs> and they uh, go, great. That's that's amazing. Or, but they might come in, they want to play Crazy Train. You know, like, like <laughs> so they're finding it and they're doing it. And I'm realizing the one thing that's constant, and this is the beauty of the guitar, that it's still an inviting beast to try and conquer. Like, and there's something about the tangible thing of, oh, I'm responsible, even more so than a synthesizer. And, and I love all those tools. I love all digital tools. I love all tools for making music. But the thing where it's like, oh, wow, I put pressure on, I push the string up. It makes this thing, it makes me feel a certain way. I still see that as being vibrant. I see that in my concert band, no, no matter what instrument they're playing. Where it's like, oh wow, I'm generating this. There's something I'm doing physically. I have more ownership over making the sound um, that's still appealing, right? And still connects them. So I, I don't think those things are ever going away, you know. And uh, 
I just think that it's now they have access to technology, which helps them learn more, um, helps them get sounds. I wish I had, like, I mean, we've got these little lamps that have every effect. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember one kid, Brock Farquhar had an MXR distortion pedal. And I, I thought I found God. I was like, <laughs> that's the sound. I hit this. He gave me the two chords, my little pawn shop guitar, my little practice amp. And it sounds like, you know, quiet riot. I'm going, Oh my God. Like, this is incredible. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you know, yeah, there's benefits to the old school ways. Yeah. I think there was benefits to dropping a needle and trying to learn a Max Webster solo. I think, you know, the struggle that was inherent in that made a certain type of player, but I don't know. I go on, I go on Instagram and I watch six year old kids played circles around me. I'll never be able to touch them. Oh yeah. That's, that's pretty cool too. If you, if you would have given me that chance back then, I would have taken it. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Who who gets a bigger kick during parent teacher night? Uh <laughs> the the kids or the parents? Like chatting with like, do the do the parents go, Oh my god, you played with so and so you played with or do the kids go, Oh my goodness, you're like you've played with all of these superstars. Who gets a bigger kick? <laughs> to be honest, it's not like it doesn't come up very often. It, it it's certainly nothing I'm gonna put out in the class. Like I mean, I don't want to labor them with my boring old road stories. That's what my own family's for. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I uh, once in a while I'll have yeah. a parent come up. Like one parent had seen me play at a German heavy metal festival, and I remember I was in front of my principal who had no idea what I I, I was at a new school. I just returned to teaching. And I was there, family. I saw you at fucking man with Lear, and I saw. You. I was like, "Oh yeah, oh good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, sir. And don't worry, you know, Kirsten's doing very well. And you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, but it kind of so once in a while the things come up, right? Or they've they've seen me, or they know an artist I play with. Once in a blue moon, and uh, it's been great, you know, like especially with the Rock of Ages thing. Uh, I've had a few parents who brought their kids to the show, and 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 you know. There's been like some of the show is a little adult uh, thematically, right? So I kind of say, hey, you're gonna have to scrub your brain after watching this. We won't talk about this when we're in music theory class, but um, you know, it, it's really nice. It's it, it's nice when we can make that connection and they can see that there's opportunities that arise from playing music and following. And and, and you know, I, I certainly don't shy away from telling them I've been very fortunate if they ask, like with the opportunities I've been I've been gifted with, you know. Yeah. Because it music's given me the chance to see the world. And I'm very grateful for that. Absolutely. You know, earlier you, you talked about uh is it was it six nights a week? You're doing Rock of Ages right now. Yeah, six six yeah, six shows a week. Yeah. Six six shows a week. Um and I want to say thank you for spending this evening yes. with us. Oh my pleasure. It's uh, last week of the show. It's our last week. I'm gonna miss it very much. So I, I, so I wanted to ask you, like, um, was there ever a point? I mean, it hasn't been so long. I think February is when you guys started. Yeah, February twenty third. Um, yeah, you know, compared to like what is it, Phantom of the Opera in Broadway, which is finally coming to their last shows. Yeah, um, and they've been playing for years. I don't know how many years. Um, but how, like, how was there ever a time six shows a week where you go enough of this already? No, not at all. No, okay. no, no, no. I love every minute of it. I love it I, the, I still love those songs i still get excited here i go again's coming up i get to play here i go i get to be john sykes for two seconds you know i get to be carlos cavazo i get to be you know cc deville whoever it is like i get those moments i still i am grateful for it i love it i love how it makes people feel and that's the thing another reason why i wrote this book is this music yeah. stayed with me it didn't leave me some people visited it and they moved on to other things and they look yeah. back and go, Oh, it's the stuff I was doing. I was it's still very, it always stayed with me. So I never got tired of it. And I still, I mean, I'll be driving to the theater. And if I have a night Ranger album, I'll leave sister Christian on, even though I'm going to be playing the thing for the sixth time that week in the yeah. show. Yeah. Cause I love it. I love it. That's amazing. I love it. That, that's so refreshing. And, and, and it has, it has opened the door. I love all music. I studied classical guitar. I've played on country records. I've played jazz. I've done, I've done you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to play so many different styles of music and, and all of that, but all of it stems from rock music. Everything I do, I look through a rock, a hard rock prism. Yeah. What's your favorite song to play in rock of ages? Do you have a favorite one? 
You know which one it is? It's actually, we were just talking about it. The, the drummer in Rock of Ages is Sean Kilbride from the band Haywire. Uh, yeah. Amazing drummer. And uh, great players. Uh, Mark Camilleri, music director. Mike Peller and the bass player. Gino Del Sole on guitar one. Like, incredible players. But Sean and I were saying, the one we're really loving playing is, uh, it's uh, a medley of uh, uh, Shadows of the Night by Pat Benatar. And uh, hold on a second. No, I guess it all. I guess it is just shut. Oh, and uh, sorry. Oh, it's oh, it's escaping me now. It's my favorite one to play. I, so I, I love it so much. I can't remember. Oh, heart. <laughs> sorry, harden my heart by Quarter Flash yeah. and yeah. and Shadows of the Night. Those two together, and it's just the way it grooves. There's just something about when we lock in. I think we're the best band in the world when we play it. That sounds really cocky, right? But I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't think there's any mother that could touch us when we when we are kicking <laughs> on that group. And it's that just we lock into that. We feel those rhythms together. And it's mad. And with that incredible uh, cast and the vocals and the dancing and the production elements, I can't say enough about what more entertainment did with that Rock of Ages production. I'm so proud to be a part of it and honored. Yeah. Do you get to make any of those songs like yours in terms of, you know, do you do you maybe hang on a note or do something yeah. different than the original? Yeah. Like, like I, I, we, we there are opportunities especially in underscore moments where there's dialogue where th these things have morphed right where there's freedom inherent in it sometimes you gotta play the ink you play it like it's written yeah but 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 the music director mark he understands what this music's about and that there are moments like that and and those things do grow so yeah sometimes we are we i'd say there's a fair amount of freedom and you know there's a, a part at the top of the show where i got to write my whole little two-hand tapping you know Oh, nice. I got the, I'm living my I'm living the full 80s arena rock dream. I'm walking out center stage under lasers, two hand tapping on a guitar with a big snake on it. Like my life is complete. And I'm in a leather jacket with studs. And I got leather pants and big boots and my hair's piled up to the sky and I'm wearing makeup. Like and I'm 50. I'm a 50 year old man. I get to do that. But come on. It's all working out. It's all coming up Millhouse, you know? <laughs> and then you go to school. You forget the Bring the hair down. Or I leave. I usually leave the nail polish on. I told everybody, the kids, you know. Oh, you you have a concert? Yeah, I had a concert. Sometimes oh, the makeup's awesome. on too. If if I didn't get to the coffee maker in time that morning, <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, I want to know how did you how did you get into teaching? Like how was how was that a thing for you? Well, I I had studied classical guitar at U of T and UBC, and I got a degree in that, and then I you know. Kind of tried my hand, went on the road, played in a band that got a record deal, you know, did some touring. Uh, but, you know, like I saw that I was, you know, working hard to keep things going. I was able to pay the bills, but, you know, I was working in a record store. I'm playing, I'm picking up as many gigs as I can. I said, you know, maybe I should think about something else just to have as a, you know, I, I was raised practically, right? Yeah. What would be something I could do to make a little extra money? Like, you know, I saw how how fickle the record industry could be. I saw how quick things can come and go. Yeah. And, you know, I said, okay, well, I'm late 20s. What should... So I said, you know, maybe I should go to teacher's college. So I, I ended up going to teacher's college with the kind of the goal of, hey, I'll supply teach. That would be a way, mm -hmm. if I'm not touring, I can, yeah, I'll do some supply work. Yeah. So I went and I ended up my first year of teaching. I, I walked into this school and I'll never forget it. This... This class was wild. Oh. And I mean, it was like third week of September, my first gig. I got a kid jumping on the desk. They're kicking things over. They're screaming. They're hollering. It was a nightmare. And at the end of the day, I walked out the door and the principal goes, amazing. Can you come back? And I went, no, are you kidding me? I said, I'm terrible. I, I had no control. He goes, no, but you stayed all day. <laughs> and i went what he goes yeah you're the only one who stayed you've got to come back. and i ended up i got cornered by these three women teachers and i ended up signing a contract for a, a position right then and there and i ended up teaching grade seven i love those kids like i love them like we had the best year with those kids and that showed me the power of sticking around and i was like you know what there's a value here that i didn't see before yeah. And I, I, and this is, these are the, like, I mean, this is like early two, 2000, right? You could still take a bunch of kids on the subway and go someplace. And it was a little, it was still pretty, 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 yeah. uh, it wasn't quite as prohibitive. Let's put it that way. So I, we'd go down to much music and, 
it was easier to get around those days. And uh, man, we had lots of fun and I loved it. And then I found out, hey, you can teach music. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a thing you can do. And that was it. After, once I got my first music teaching job, I was hooked. And it became a very holistic part of what I do as a musician. Like I don't, I don't separate. It's like my day job and then my night job. I just, I'm a musician and that's a massive part of my life that I'm very grateful. And you make, you make such a, I mean, music is so important for kids. Like it just makes such a difference and, and it, it, it helps them not just in confidence because they're playing music, but you know, math and spatial reasoning. And like, it's just so important. And it just, it kills me that we're seeing such cuts to the arts in our school system. Yeah. I'm, we're really fortunate. I have to say the, the Toronto Catholic district school board, we have a, a, you know, a fairly robust music program and, and wonderful resource teachers and administrators who believe in music our, uh, we just we just had a couple of weeks ago our, our board music festival, dedicated teachers. It's wonderful, and to see those kids identifying as creators and and yeah. and 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 ha- having the music room be a place they can come to, and they walk around carrying their instruments, and it means something to them. And they're, they're all playing, and they know they can come to that music room. That door is open. Recess, lunch, uh, that door is open. They can come as long as you know they're there to to, to play. And, and and work out their stuff it's it's pretty amazing to me so that's a gift for me yeah no absolutely i mean i mean uh, our kids although we're up sort of o'connor and donlins now we were down at sort of the pape and danforth although we call the riverdale slum because we were east of of pape. yeah uh, but yeah. our kids went to wilkinson wilkie and it was like we as parents really pushed hard and it's thankfully it's contained to this day to the admin to say that music was something that we wanted to invest in so you know, um, Bacha, who was the, the the teacher there, I think she's still the teacher at Wilkinson. You know, we it, it, it's it was so important to the community that she continued, and we'd bring in people like Melanie Doan and you know to to continue yeah. to to, to support amazing. the programs, right? Mm-hmm. To compliment compliment the programs. So yeah, wonderful. I, I must say, you know, talking about music, it is. We're recording this in the evening. It is seven ten p.m. And my son is still at school because of music. He's uh, he's in the orchestra. Uh, sorry, he's in the Amazing. band. He's in uh, the choir, and he's in the jazz band. Incredible. Uh, Mondays until seven thirty, and Fridays until five thirty. Uh, wow. Never, never in a million years I thought you're going to hang around school for that long because uh, because of music. And uh, he goes to Agent Court Collegiate in in, in Scarborough. Uh, and it, it's like, it's not a music school, but it's like almost every kid is doing something around music. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. Just, yeah. Just fantastic that, you know, there are some schools and some teachers that, you know, uh, and some will, parent groups like parent invest. community too. that. that yeah, absolutely. To yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, Sean, I wanted, I wanted to ask you, uh, oh man, like a bunch of stuff. Um, but you know, you've, you've, you've had the opportunity to tour yeah. all over the world. Um, your favorite tour. My favorite tour. Be, yeah. You know what? I was just reminded of one. I uh, was just on a cruise with Lee Aaron. We played a, the monsters of rock cruise. Yeah. Uh, just two weeks ago, we, we sailed oh, wow. from Port, Port Canaveral to Labadee, Haiti. And, you know, it was, extreme and winger and tesla and queensrike and kicks and all these amazing bands uh you know george lynch michael shanker all these incredible guitar players i got a chance to see that i grew up listening to and we were playing on it and had a great time but an old tour mate of mine was there uh, a guy named spike from a band called the london choir boys so my first real tour with my own band crash kelly was opening up in england we did a uk tour with the choir boys and and we were the minute I saw him, we just started howling about that tour because there were just so many incredible hijinks and things we got up to. It was a true rock and roll tour, like in ways that I will not say here, but but trust <laughs> me, it was it, it was they were good and uh, and the shows were great and the music was great and it was also exciting to me because after years of kind of getting close but not getting there, here was an opportunity where you know. We actually had a record deal with songs I'd written, songs I was singing, and that were going over. And 
getting airplay over there. And, and it was a, it was a wonderful feeling. So that was a good one. Um, I, I toured South America with Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses. That was an incredible tour. I toured uh, with Nelly Furtado a few months earlier in South America. That was great. I mean, <clears throat> maybe they, maybe the one that was the best though was when Crash Kelly opened for Alice Cooper in the U S that was oh wow dream come true stuff. But now I'm thinking my band with M Griner Trapper, we opened for Def Leppard on some dates. That was incredible. I've, I, you know, they've all, they've all had their moments of magic, you know, they've all been, all been wonderful. I, I've, I've loved every tour I've been on. How, how is the, how is the, how has it been working with the board when you have to, like, I think of, I think yeah. of George from Alexis on fire was a firefighter out in Durham. Right. Yeah. In Oshawa. yeah. And so when he tours Australia, or wherever, right, Europe or whatever, when Lexus on fire goes out for however many shows, yep. you know, he has to work around that. But as a firefighter, he has that blocks of time. Whereas yeah. as a teacher, you have the block during the summer. How, how does it work with that? Well, what what had happened was I used to take leaves of absence. You know, okay. I would I would apply for leaves of absence, which were easier to get earlier on than they are now, to be honest. But um, I would do that. Um, I actually left the board for a while because I was on tour with Nelly so much. I just kind of committed to being on the road. And, and so I did that. So I had to reapply, get, you know, go through the interview process again. Um, but yeah, you do that. And, and, and that's kind of the, the only way to do it. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing with people say, Oh, it just takes six days. Well, I mean, you're on the internet. Like, I mean, it's out there, you know, like, so you got it, you got to be legit. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and you know what, I've got supportive colleagues and friends, you know, and and I try what I try to do is make sure that I I come to work, I show up, and I and that those kids get the concerts, they get the festivals, they get the rehearsals, they get the extracurriculars, and I try and help out. And like anything, I think when you do that and you put yourself out there, and it, and it's such an important part of what I do. I I've been very very fortunate that I've had administrators who see that there is value that. I, I would like to think I bring to the table as a teacher that comes from that type of work. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it can be tough. It's tough on my family. If I'm being very honest, you know, like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm work a lot. I'm a workaholic. Um, but I, I, I'm driven to do that, you know? So yeah, balance is not easy and I'm certainly not perfect at it. Listen, keep, yeah. keep keeping in mind, uh, Sean, some of these tours you've been on, um, you know, we've got the segment lost venues. Uh, ah. so, so I'm curious, Sean, um, is, is there a place you've played? Maybe it's got a fond memory. Uh, maybe there's just a story of going to hell and back, but is, is there a lost venue that comes to mind? Well, you know, there, there's a few that I've played along the way that are, that are gone now. And, and I've enjoyed, I think about the gas works, you know, when I first got to Toronto playing the gas works, that was exciting. But I guess my most memorable experience from a venue that no longer exists was I was I was in high school and it was in my hometown in North Bay. There was a bar called Wilders. That was the place where the touring bands would play. And I was taking part in something called the Labatt's Blue Guitar Wars. This was something that happened late 80s or early 90s. And, you know, you would get up and you'd play guitar players and sign up. It was a competition that was happening across the country. So in our little North Northern Ontario thing, you know, I was at this place and I kind of made it to the finals of this kind of Northern Ontario thing. And my brother-in-law and my sister came to see me play in the bar, yeah. but I'm 17, I think, or something like that. Um, and I'm underage and I walk off stage and my brother-in-law, he might not like me telling this story. I hope he doesn't listen, but I walk off stage and I start coughing like, you know, <clears throat> and he just passes me his beer like here. And I take a sip of his beer and two undercover cops come out. Let me see your ID. Uh, I don't, I don't have ID. And he goes, grab my brother in law and, Take us and bring us out into the, put us in the back of a cop car. Oh my goodness. And my sister's going, my sister is a school teacher herself. She's going, what now, you know, new to the family. Now he's got to go home and tell my record smashing mom <laughs> that we are in the back of a cop car. 
because you know what I mean? Like, this is crazy, right? Oh my God. Like, and of course I'm a smart ass. And he goes, yeah, we're coming here to investigate underage drinking. I go, you're coming to a bar to investigate underage drinking. We're in North Bay. Shouldn't you go out in the woods? You know, like, hello, go to the beach. And of course get in. And we ended up, you know, having to go to court, but, but I'll tell you, there was a lawyer in town who phoned my mother and said, oh I know the cops who are, they're jerks. I, I I have a personal vendetta. I will take this case on free. And it turned into this gong show. Like he just took him to task and the judge eventually just said, what are you all doing? Don't drink beer. Don't give beer to kids. Don't waste my time. Get the hell out of here. Kick us all out. It was amazing. <laughs> like, you know, so anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking that is to awesome. It. And as my dad, as my dad would have said, I already told you more than I know. I probably added that, that's <laughs> probably like the fish that keeps getting bigger. But that's my memory. Absolutely. And, and, and to say that, uh, and to think your parents didn't say that's it for music. That's go find something else to do. Become an engineer. Teach math. You, you, you kept at it. <laughs> well, I'll tell I'll tell you. I, I haven't talked too much about my dad in this equation, but I remember playing my first professional bar gig was at a place called the Parkview Hotel. And I got stiffed that night. I didn't get paid. Oh, wow. And I went home and I told my dad. And my dad didn't say much about music. But my dad was a pro hockey player. Yes, right. Played hockey. So, you know, Eastern League and played played in the, uh, you know, played with Barry Flyers Jr. And anyway, he goes, where are you playing? Parkview? He goes, get in the car. And so my dad and I go down to the Parkview. My dad walks in with me. Hey, Barry. Hey, Des, how's it going? Hey, my kid played here last night. He didn't get paid. Oh, it's your kid? Ah, here you go, kid. My dad had played hockey with the guy. I didn't know he knew anybody in the bar. My dad knew everybody in town. <laughs> and he goes, get in the car. Don't tell your mom we we're here. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I was like, oh, okay. Maybe your parents know things you don't know. <laughs> you know, like, it was, it was kind of cool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great story. Um, so I want to, I want to, I want to come back to the album because a couple of, or sorry, the album, sorry, the book, because a couple of things I want to touch on. So, uh, one of the things I absolutely love in the book that people are going to love is the, uh, glossies in the center of the book that has a bunch of posters and like, it's just yeah. phenomenal. Did you like, are these posters you had or did you pull them together or no, they're from, they're from private collection, right? Like, yeah. you know, that's why I, I, you're allowed to use those. Right. So uh, yeah, they're from old Kerrang magazines. Uh, my good yeah. friend and former drummer, Kevin Taylor had some that we used from his private collection. Um, and yeah, so it was just, you know, memories. A lot of those though are from, I was playing with Lee Aaron in Niagara Falls and we were playing beside an antique shop and I found a stack of mint condition, vintage Kerrang magazines. Like it was like, and the guys said, I don't know, two bucks. Going, okay. You know, shaking, shaking as I'm trying to get, to get the money out. But uh, I mean, maybe they were with two two bucks to anybody else. But for me, it was like finding a treasure trove, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the one of the other things you talk about in the book that I thought was funny. So I'm going to share a story of my wife. Uh, so she lived in BC. She was babysitting. She saw this movie. Um and it was about this band called the Ruddles. And she went home that night and said to her parents, how could you never have introduced me to this band before? How could how could I be, whatever, 16 years old or however old she was at the yeah. time and not have known about this band, the Ruddles? And I believe in the book, you share a similar story. If yeah. You don't mind just touching on that. Yeah, well, Spinal Tap, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I thought Spinal Tap was a real band. I just thought they were what they were portraying in the movie, a bunch of older guys who, I said, oh, it, it, it's kind of like weird old metal. But but then I heard the song. I was like, oh, that's a weird song. I, I did, I, <laughs> but, I, but, but, but the humor of it kind of escaped me. And I even, I remember buying, there was a, Ronnie James Dio had did a rock, uh, a heavy metal album for, for a charity called Hearnade. And, uh, and, 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 you know, they had, uh, Derek Smalls and, uh, you know, yeah. And, uh, and one of the other guys from Spinal Tap yeah. and, and they were, and they were, you know, in, I said, 
are they real? Maybe they are real. I thought it was a joke, but maybe they're really there, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Like, but it's kind of a testament to how talented those guys were. Like those songs are actually really good songs, you know, really yeah, much, catchy. much, much like the Ruddles. Like I have both albums somewhere behind me here. And I mean, like yeah. you listen to like cheese and onions by the Ruddles and it's just so silly and it's such a beetle rip but yet and i know harrison was behind with handmade productions yeah. the, the the movie and the album but it's like there are really good songs yeah it's it's fun right? albums yeah and that's what makes it work right it's close to the bone it probably cut too close to the bone for a lot of the artists at the time seeing their their lifestyle being lampooned like that but i i love it and to be honest i i still watch that movie i still think it's kind of cool i kind of go yeah, you know, I guess I'm a joke, but that's okay. I don't mind being a joke. I still think it's cool to have the and 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 I love it when those things actually happen to you in real life. Like, you know, something doesn't work on stage or some big oh, yeah. arena thing and your guitar's not working. It's like spinal tap. It happened. You know, you're getting the radio frequency through your amp. Like that stuff happens, right? And you and you're trying to be this big cool guy, and all of a sudden you're just like a donkey, right? But that's okay. That's part of the fun. Yeah, no, I, I, I've told the story before, and again, normally Larry's Hideaway is not a place that our band um, would would play because we were really early, not early New Age, but we were like Prince New Wave kind of thing at the time. But I remember we played Larry's Hideaway. We had the silver Lene suits on and the frills and everything, and I don't even know how we ended up getting the gig. But Jimmy comes running out uh, or or dancing out onto the stage, and you know I'm keyboardist with the with the drum machine, and he steps on the chord to just just stops everything on the drum like it, it's over it's like at that point you're like starting again like so yeah. yeah you're right that shit happens just it does it is what it is. yeah makes a good makes a good moments all that much better absolutely yeah, yeah. sean you you've got we've got the end of uh rock of ages uh the book is out uh we're in the last couple of months of school um what's what's next what's next for sean kelly well, it's going to be um, a busy summer uh, playing with uh, my next big thing is going with Coney Hatch to the Sweden Rock Festival in June with like Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Iron Maiden, Europe. Jeez. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be insane. And and I played that festival last year with Lee Aaron. It's amazing. So looking forward to going back with the Hatchers um, and then busy summer with Lee Aaron. Lots and lots of festival dates. Dates keep coming in. We're promoting a, a new record we put out late last year called Elevate, and we're going to actually start working on a new record project, which I can't really talk about, but it's going to be fun. And awesome. uh, yeah, we're, we're going to keep going. And um, yeah, a few other projects that, I, that I'm working on. I'm going to uh, get back to doing some some more writing. And there's always there's always things in the fire. I, I'm really project based these days. So I'm always mm -hmm. thinking of something. I, I, I love the theater stuff that I've been doing and I want to do more in that world. Uh, and I want it to all be rock based. I, I, as long as I got a little bit of hair, I can fluff up on my head, you know, and, and I, I can <laughs> still the art. Thank you. No, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. God only made so many perfect heads. You got one. You're good. You're good. Buddy. You're good. But you know you. what? Thank all, you. All, all I can say is I, I, I still love doing it and I want to keep uh, creating this world yeah i think we do create ourselves really you know i i think we all have the opportunity to do that and i'm really enjoying this this phase of my life where i'm really kind of doubling down and buying in and you know i i love all types of music but i'm kind of committing to this the next 10 years i'm going full-on hard rock and and really going to honor that part of me that's that's what still drives me and and I, it, it can be anything. It can be playing to 20,000 people with Coney Hatch at Sweden Rock, or it can be doing the Queen medley that we do with my concert band, you know, at the full board music festival. I don't care. I get the same rush as long as it's, you know, based in that rock and roll music. That's awesome. Um, Sean, I just wanted uh, one of the, somebody who listens to our show, also a very dear friend of mine, Lori Januska, just wanted me to say, Oh, Lori. She wanted to say hi. You know, I know she she said that you were Crash Kelly was the first band she photographed and that I know you encouraged her to to take vocal lessons where she's playing now. Yeah. And, and I think Charlotte was in your um in one of the rock camps. Rock one camp. of your rock camps, one of your yeah. rock camps. So uh oh, she just she just wanted to say hi and I wanted to pass that along. Oh, thank you. Hi Lori. Hi Charlotte. Yeah, nice. Hi Michael. Yeah, great. Yep. The book. Thank you. 
is called Don't Call It Hair Metal, Art in the Excess of 80s Rock. Our guest has been Sean Kelly. Uh, he is heading off to Sweden this summer. Uh, go catch him there. Pick up his book, published by our friends at uh, ECW. Uh, go get it at your, your favorite bookstore. Order it online if you are a fan of uh, 80s rock, fan of rock music, fan of... Damn, just just fan, stories. Just I mean, of, I mean yeah. not, but it's not just 80s. I mean, to me, to me, it's the... It's some of the artists and musicians that you've had that have, you know, are... I don't know if it was through interview process, but just speak to different topics. I found it was just... Phenomenal, regardless of the genre. Oh, right on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Great book. Thank Sean, you thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it.